I need to put the thing on or it'll be fine. Okay. Good morning to everyone. Uh, it's good to see you here this morning. And as Gary mentioned, it's uh, very good to have our visitors, especially considering we've got a good many of our regular folks who are out of town. And so y'all have very much filled that void. We, uh, we started last week going through a series basically just the plan of salvation and and talking about the different parts of the plan of salvation and and last week um, we talked about hearing and believing and and this morning we'll be repenting and confessing and I just you know wanted to for us to think about why first of all why would we even want to go through this there's a lot of the people here are already christians um not everyone but a lot of the people here are and so uh it may seem a bit redundant but i think it's important for us and helpful helpful for us to sometimes uh, be reminded how it is we got where we are you know how did i end up being a christian uh just as, as a reminder, but also so that we can help to uh, teach that to others and talk to others about uh, the simple plan of salvation that, that God has described for us in scriptures. And so uh, if you are a Christian this morning and if you, if you have already gone through these steps, uh, you should know them uh, and hopefully this will help this series we're going through will help you to, to Think about those things in the right way and be able to explain them in the right ways to others. Uh, if you are not a Christian, then hopefully this will cause you to, to think about these steps uh, that God has put in place for us and to realize you know, what, what each of these things are and to ponder on those things uh, and, and ultimately uh, decide to become a child of God. So, again, last week... Uh, we, we started off, I think Andrew's class was about hearing, right? Uh, and so, if you think about it, if we believe that God created this world, and me, and you, uh, then we should understand that he has the power to destroy or save, right? The, the creator is the one with the power. Uh, he made us, he can destroy us. Uh, he gets to say what is good and what is bad. He made it all, right? So he gets to define it all. He gets to define what is good. He gets to define what is not good. He gets to define what is sin and what is not sin. Um, and he also gets to say what what we must do to get forgiveness of sin, right? How can we be saved? Uh, if, if we don't uh, believe that at that basic level that he gets to decide those things then you know really uh, this message is not going to sink in very well with you right you you've got to believe that and i think uh the way that god made us and and the way that he created human beings to be they they we seem to have an innate desire to to realize and uh, realize that there is a higher power and want to to worship a higher power you see that almost universally among human beings, uh, but, but it's important to realize who that higher power is. It's Jehovah God, and it's important to realize that he 
has said a lot of things about what is right and what is wrong and how to uh, make things right again once they've become wrong, right? And so that's, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about uh, in this series. Uh, and, and again, Andrew, last week in the first hour, talked about hearing uh, this information. You know, someone has got to tell us about Jehovah God. Uh, for us to become a Christian, you first have to be told about Jehovah God. You have to be told about what he has done, what his expectations are uh, for you and for me, for mankind in general. Uh, and so, you know, he's given us this information in scriptures. We can be told through those scriptures or we can be told through someone teaching us about those scriptures. But either way, you think about it. You have to hear that information. You can't just, you're not going to just come up with this information on your own. It has to be uh, given to you through some means or, or someone teaching you or you reading it in God's <laughs> Word. Once you've been told it, you're at a crossroads, right? You're at a fork in the road. Okay, you have been told this information. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to believe it or not believe it? And you you have to decide which route are you going to take. You're going to take, I believe what I have read and what I've been told about God and his plan of salvation, or I do not believe it. Um, if we don't believe it, then that's the end of the conversation, right? There's really nothing beyond that until you can get to the point that you do believe what's in God's word and you do believe the truths about him. Uh, until you can get to that point, then there's really no further you can go on this process it, it is ended until you be, believe if you don't believe it's over uh the the conversation's really uh got to be focused on getting you to believe that uh but but if we do believe that there is a god who created this earth and that he gets to define uh, what's right and wrong he gets to define how uh we are saved uh then as you read in scriptures you learn that he has some more requirements beyond just hearing and believing. There's more to do. Uh, he has defined some more things that must be done if we are going to be uh, saved or, or freed from our sin. And so there's a question that we see that pops up uh, in scriptures and, and you know mainly in the New Testament as we're under the, the New Testament law or the New Testament age, the age of Christ, um, there's a question we see men who believe what they've been told asking. All right? when, when men hear that they have done wrong in God's sight and, and that the punishment for that wrong is eternal death, this question comes up, what must we do? Right? What do I do now? Okay, I, I understand what you're telling me. That, that what I've been doing is not right and that there's punishment coming my way because of what I've done, you know, what must I do now? How can I fix that? Uh, and we see this question uh, coming up uh, with various people, even people who are living uh, what you would consider to be good lives, faithful lives, or trying to, to live in the right way, ask this question. Uh, the rich young ruler who we, we talked about last week uh, in one of our classes and Mark chapter 10 uh, says as 
uh, as he was setting out on his journey, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so that's the rich young ruler asking Jesus, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So as you read that story, you see this guy had been living a, a good life, trying to do those things which were right, uh, but Jesus uh, knew something about him that, that he needed to go further and fix and correct in his life. But uh, what I wanted to point out of the, that story is the question he asked, the best question that, that any of us can ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching to all of those people in Jerusalem uh, on the day of Pentecost, he, he goes through his sermon basically convincing them that everything God had said about sending a Messiah had happened. The Messiah was Jesus, and these people had killed the one that God had sent for them. Uh, And so they realize they're in trouble, right? They realize they've done something wrong and that God's not going to be happy with them about that. And, And the question they ask is, brothers, what shall we do? What do I need to do to fix that? And so... Uh, that's what we're going to to be talking about in this class and and or this sermon and the next one. Gary's going to talk about uh, confessing Jesus as Christ and Lord. Uh, that's one of the steps, uh, one of the answers to this question of what shall I do uh, this morning. In this hour, we're going to talk about repentance. That is one of the answers to this question. Um, in Acts chapter 2, that's what Peter answers them. When they say, what shall we do? His answer to them is to repent and be baptized. And so this morning we're going to talk about repentance. Um, again, I believe what I've heard. I know I need God's forgiveness, so how do I get that? When uh, when you hear the word repentance, it's not, it's not a word that comes up really in any everyday vocabulary except religion, right? You're not gonna uh you're not gonna really have repentance come up in your job normally. That's just not something that, that uh that is used in our day to day talk. But it is something that is used in scriptures over and over again from, from the beginning to the end of scriptures. It's a concept that we see as something that um uh, is important to God and something that is necessary in God's eyes. And so, as we talk about repentance, I think um, everyone here, you know, has a pretty good understanding of what repentance is. And it's, you know, base definition, it means to turn away from. So if you are headed to Walmart and you repent from that, you turn around and go away from Walmart. You go the other way, right? Uh, you know, that's a basic definition. Um uh, to turn away, to go the opposite direction. In, in spiritual terms, we're talking about sin, right? And so if we're repenting from sin, we're turning away from sin, we're going away from sin, going the opposite direction. And so uh, I've heard uh, Gary define it uh, in classes as a change of mind that leads to a change in action is a good way to think about repentance. Uh, you have to make up your mind first that what you're doing the direction you're headed is not right. It's not the way you need to be going. And so you change your mind about that, and that leads to or results in a change in actions. 
And so that's what we're talking about uh, when we say <clears throat> repentance. And, and again, in this context, uh, we're talking about sin, right? The thing we're turning away from is the thing that God is condemning us for. We're wanting to get away from what God is condemning us for, and that, that is sin. Uh, and so um, repentance is required for us to become a child of God initially. For us to become a Christian, we must repent. And repentance is also required for us who already have become Christians. Uh, I think everyone realizes even after you become a Christian, you're not going to lead a perfect life. As bad as you want to, and as much as you want to, to never sin again, uh, you probably will. And, and uh, repentance is something that uh, God expects us to do even after we have become a Christian. And so it's an important concept for us to, to have as God's children. It's also a concept that the world really wants to reject, right? Uh, this idea of having to change your actions, to have, have to quit doing something that may bring you uh, worldly pleasure, to have to stop doing that because God wants you to stop doing that is a concept that is not popular in the world today. Uh, you think about some of the different uh, thoughts that are out there in the world. Uh, you know, the sinner's prayer is something that you hear very often. Uh, and simply to invite Jesus into your heart. And you become a child of God that way and, and call it good from that point forward, right? Uh, you know, that's a very common concept in the world today. Uh, the, the doctrine of once you're saved, you're always saved. That there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation once you've become a Christian. That's a common thought out there in the world today. Um, and, and this idea that, that we can't help who we are or what we do. There's nothing we can do to change ourselves uh, for the better. You know, that's a, that's a prevalent thought out there today. And so, you know, when you think about all of these, uh, these three things and, and really this attitude of, of no need for change, no need for repentance, uh, you know, it would be great if all that was true. If, if any of those, I understand where these doctrines came from. You know, this is that'd be a great way for things to be. Uh, if I could, you know, simply pray a prayer and and consider myself saved and go on living my life however I want to live it, doing whatever I want to do from that point forward, man, that's great. Sign me up for that. You know, sounds pretty easy, but that's not what we find in scriptures. It's not the way God has set forth. For his children to be, that's not the plan he has put out there for how people can get forgiveness, how they can be saved from their sins. And so, you know, none of the, none of those concepts really align uh, with what we see in God's Word. Um, he has always required a level of accountability from mankind if they are going to be pleasing to him. Uh, he... He always has and always will be that way. That's, that's his nature. He, he wants us to be accountable, in a sense, for our actions. And so when our actions are not right, 
He wants us to correct those, to, to turn away from those actions. Uh, the easiest way for me to think about it uh, is, is would, it make, would it make sense if you, for those of us who are parents, or in any situation, if you did something very sacrificial, gave up something of great value that you had, you gave that up for the benefit of someone else. Um, what response would you expect from that person from that point forward? It would be a response of gratitude that would be expected, right? You would you would expect them to uh, not thumb their nose at what you want. You know, you would expect them to have some gratitude and 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 want to be or do the things that you're hoping they will do. And so, you know, does it make sense for God to send Jesus to die for us, but then Him be okay with us continuing to do all of the things that are not pleasing to Him? That, you know, in our earthly terms as human beings, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, but that is how a lot of people want to think about it. <clears throat> so, again, this... This concept of repentance is something that is it's in God's nature. He's required this from, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. The Old Testament is full of the concept of repentance. It's full of Him requiring people to turn away from what they're doing that's wrong. Um, and, and I just picked a few different passages from the Old Testament that kind of show his attitude about repentance and, and that that is a requirement and always has been a requirement for his forgiveness to someone. Uh, in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 3 it says, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so this is again... Just one passage of many from the Old Testament where we can see that uh, turning to God requires uh, putting away the doing of wrong, right? You can't say, I'm going to be a child of God, but continue doing those wrong things. God, God has never been okay with that. Second uh, Chronicles 7 and verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so uh, we can see from this passage, one of the things necessary for repentance is humility, right? Uh, are we going to stop doing what we want to do without humbling ourselves and turning to God? We're not. Uh, it requires humility for us to get to the point that, that we can repent of our sins. Isaiah 55, uh, verses 6-8 through eight says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will, abundant, uh, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. <clears throat> so you see in verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way. That is repentance. Uh, 
Uh, the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. That is repentance. You know, stop doing those things that are wrong. Turn away uh, from those things and return to the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Here Jeremiah says, Go and, uh, or God to Jeremiah says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am a merciful. For I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. For I am your master. I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so in this passage, you've got return and, and turn back to the Lord over and over again. It's come back to Him, turn back to Him, turn away from what it is that you have been doing. Turn, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 18. This one was a little too long to put up there. Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 20, this passage to me really kind of lays out there in simple terms how God thinks about uh, and accounts sin towards people. This is, this is God's thoughts towards sin and, and towards someone who is sinning and how they can make that right. Uh, Ezekiel 18 and verse 20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he's committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them he shall die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness that he's committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. So, again, this passage is pretty clear about how God's thinking about these matters, right? If you are a unrighteous person or a wicked person. If you are someone who is sinning or, or who has sinned, uh, 
and you realize that, you come to that knowledge that, that you have sinned and that there's punishment coming from God because of your sin, and you decide to quit sinning. Uh, you repent from that sin and turn back to God. God likes that. He's pleased with that. He wants that, and he requires that if you're going to get forgiveness from him, right? Uh, and we see this every day in our as we raise our children, you know, I'm not going to be okay with my kids doing something wrong. Them coming to me asking, hey, you know, will you please forgive me for doing that? And then turning around and going right back to doing that again. That's not going to fly at the Walters house. And not going to fly really in, under any circumstances for anybody usually. Uh, and, and God thinks that just like that. Uh, on the other hand, if if a righteous person who has been living good and doing those things that are right if he turns and goes towards those things that are wrong he's he's bringing that punishment upon himself right uh and so you know again this is who god is and how god thinks about sin how god thinks about uh forgiveness of sin and what god expects from someone who is seeking to be forgiven for their sin In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, this is uh, just kind of a, a snapshot verse from, from Luke. Jesus talking here. It says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The same thing was said in Ezekiel in, in one of those verses that we read. It's basically God is wanting to forgive us, right? He's wanting us to repent. He's wanting us to show that uh, penitent heart and and to turn away from our sin and come back to Him. You know, that is His hope for us. And so, you know, if that's what God wants for us, you would think that's what we want for ourselves is forgiveness when we realize that that we are not in good standing with God. Uh, So the, the next few passages we look at, I want us to think about what would or should motivate us to repent. Um, Why would we even want to repent? What would lead us? Because it's not something easy to do, right? Uh, Repenting of our sins is generally something that can be difficult to do. We have to turn away from some things that we may enjoy about this world, some some things that, that bring us worldly pleasure or, or that excite us. And, and, you know, why would we ever turn away from something that we are enjoying? Well, um, there's some motivations for that. In Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, 
what is motivating this tax collector to to repent and turn to God? It's fear, right? I think in this situation, it's fear. It's a desire to not be punished by God, and that is a major motivation. Uh, if you believe the things that the scriptures tell us about God and about uh, eternal destiny is either punishment in hell or, or uh, a good life with God in heaven, uh, you know, those are your two options. Fear of going to hell should be a major motivator uh, for someone to repent of their sins. You know, an understanding of our condition and our standing with God and the results of our standing with God uh, should be a very pr- major motivator for us. The The people in Acts chapter 2 with, that Peter was preaching to, I think they understood this very clearly. When Peter told them they had killed the Messiah, they had killed the promised one, uh, they understood God was not going to be good with that. And so they asked Peter, what do we need to do to make that right? <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8, says, for even if I made you grieve, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, and what indignation, and what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. So what Paul's talking about here is godly sorrow. He had written to the church at Corinth about some things that were going on in that congregation that were not right, some sinful things that were being allowed in that congregation and that were happening among those brethren. And he had wrote to them to correct that. And and it seems that his letter sorrowed them, caused them grief and pain, but that grief and pain uh, was a grief and pain brought on by their feeling of guilt of doing those things that were wrong in God's sight and so you know what what we can learn from this passage is that repentance can be motivated by the feeling of guilt or grief or sorrow for what you've been done you realize what what you have done you realize that the things that you've done have hurt God and that they have brought shame to you and that they will bring ultimately eternal death to you if you do not, you know, clear those things up with God. And so again, for me, it helps me to think about it as on, on kind of a more of a personal level. Think about the fact that I, what if I have hurt someone who's always only been kind to me? You know, if, if you've got someone in your life that You've known for a long time, and they've always only been kind to you. They've only done you good throughout your life, throughout that time you've known that person, that time you've interacted with that person. It's all been positive. They've never done anything uh, wrong to you, never done anything to hurt you, only good. And, 
and you have turned and done something that has hurt them. How was how would that make you feel? If if you have any kind of a heart at all, that would make you feel terrible if you reflected upon doing that kind of thing. And you know, I, uh, for me, if I think about my my relationship with God in that way, here is God who's only always done good for me. He's always taken care of me. He's always provided for me. He's always uh, forgiven me. And when I've done something to hurt him, that should bring sorrow to me when I think about that. And and that should be a motivation to make that right, to repent from that uh, sin and, and come back to him. We've got uh, we'll be a few minutes over. We've got just a couple more slides. So... We were looking at some passages in the Old Testament about repentance, and you know it continues right on into the New Testament. Uh, repentance was taught by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three. We see that uh, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And so, you're moving from the Old Testament starting to, to move into the time of Christ. You've got John the Baptist kind of in that short interim there. Uh, and what is he preaching? Repentance. Same thing from the Old Testament. Change from doing wrong to doing right. Uh, it was also, of course, taught by Jesus. In Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and he answered them do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way no I tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish or those 18 to whom the the tower of Siloam fell and killed them do you think they were worse offenders than the others who lived in Jerusalem no I tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish so that's just one place where Jesus, you know, is clearly preaching and teaching repentance, turning away from sin and turning back to God. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, he teaches the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, we're not going to read all of that parable, but you've you've got uh, a parable there where a son leaves his father, goes off into a life of sin, uh, squandering everything that good that has been done for him. And then realizes that what he's done is bad. What he's done has brought trouble upon him. And so he repents of that and he comes back to his father. Picking up in verse 20 of chapter 15 of Luke, it says, And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And Again, that's a parable about someone who was off in doing sin and repented from that and came back to uh, God. Acts chapter 2, we've already talked about. Uh, Peter preaches repentance there. In Acts chapter 3, again, I think this is uh, Peter, if I remember right, uh, preaching at uh, at the synagogue or the port of I think on the porch of the temple. But, um, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Christ, the Christ appointed for you, 
Jesus. And so the apostles, following in their Savior's footsteps, preached repentance over and over again. In Acts 17 and verse 30, this is Paul uh, preaching to some of the Gentiles, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. When Paul was preaching to King Agrippa, he's recounting to King Agrippa about the vision he saw on the road to Damascus. Uh, Paul had to do some repenting himself, didn't he? Uh, He was working against Christ, persecuting the church, arresting Christians, thinking they were doing wrong when really he was doing wrong. And when he learned that he was doing wrong, when when he saw Jesus on the, the road to Damascus, he repented of what he had been doing. He changed and went a totally different direction. And that's what he's recounting to King Agrippa here. It says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And so uh, that... Again, it is Paul, if you read those verses before that, Paul recounts to Agrippa how he himself had repented, and now he's telling Agrippa he's preaching repentance to everyone else, that that's what everyone else needs to do. They need to repent as well. And um, he also says at the end of that verse 20, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And so repentance requires action. Right? It's not just a mental changing of your mind. It's not just you thinking what you've been doing is wrong and now you're going to stop doing that. Uh, it requires action. Uh, it requires us to put that thought in, into action. So I've got a, a couple of passages about that. In, in 2 Kings chapter 18, you've got King Hezekiah says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there were none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord and did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So you've got King Hezekiah, and he's showing repentance, right? He's showing the repentance of the nation of Israel. He destroyed all of the high places and the false places that they had been worshiping. Uh, In Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus uh, is another story of repentance. We won't take the time to read that, but you've got a tax collector who had been cheating people who 